Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and moved to Largo, Florida seven years ago, where she currently lives. She took art classes in high school, but couldn't follow her passion for art until she retired. She jokes that she's going to be the next Grandma Moses. There's a retention pond next to her home in Florida, and of course there are the expected frogs and turtles, but the biggest surprise and joy is their otter whom they have named Otto. It is because of Otto that a good friend and neighbor urged my guest to write a book. She realized she could start a new journey by combining her love of painting with another adventure in life, writing. She has written and illustrated her first children's picture book, Otto the Otter, a big surprise. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Linda Hansen. Thank you so much for having me be with you today. Linda, our opening question on Authors Over 50 is always, so what took you so long to write a book? I never even thought of writing a book. Ever, ever, ever. And if it hadn't been for the big surprise and my neighbor, Ronnie, who kept pressuring me to do so, I probably never would have. Um, But I am a believer that one is never too young or too old to do something new. I agree. Once you wanted to write this book, how did you proceed? Did you search for an agent, decide to choose a hybrid, a small press, or did you self-publish? I self-published. When I talked to some people that I knew who had published, they told me about the trials and tribulations of trying to get a publisher and that you could spend two to three years sending your manuscript over and over again and being rejected. And I thought, no, that doesn't seem right. I didn't even know the term hybrid at the time. But I have a friend that two years ago wrote a children's um, picture book about yoga. So I just naively just sat down and quickly wrote a manuscript. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. And I called this friend and I said, would you like to come have breakfast at our house? I have some questions. So she came and this was a year ago last May, year and a half ago. And she told me about a course that she took in self-publishing. It was a 12-week course. Of course, these days with COVID, it was on Zoom. And they taught her step-by-step everything to do. She gave me the name, and by the next day, I had 
signed up for the course. Um, I didn't know anything about what an ISBN was. I didn't know about the Library of Congress, the copyright. I mean, you know, the things that I've learned, sometimes when I'm talking about it, I turn around and I go, who's who's doing the talking? Because I learned so much. Um, so I self-published. I didn't go any of the traditional routes. Well, tell us more about your inspiration for this story. Mm. When we bought our home, next to it is a retention pond. Now, in Missouri, where we were from, if there was something like that, the subdivision owned it. And that's what we assumed. But we also thought, great neighbors, there's never going to be a house next to us. So we were tickled. We have two dogs and... The yard wasn't fenced on the sides, it was on the back. And to be able to keep them safe and in our yard, we bought what's called a stake survey, which is a specific kind of survey when you buy a home, so that we'd know exactly where the boundaries of our property were. Two days before closing, my husband calls me at work. And what I hear is, we may have a problem. No. <laughs> I go, what? He goes, you know the pond? I go, yes. He goes, we own it. I go, what? He goes, we own that piece of property. So we own this retention pond and it's glorious. We must look at it literally 30 times or more every day because as we're walking through our family room, we look out the window to see who's there. Um, we've identified 35 species of, of birds that we never saw in St. Louis um, that are just like, look what we get to see every day. And from the start, that very first winter, we one day I started screaming my husband's name, Gary, Gary, come here, come here. He goes, what is it? I go, come. And I point out the window and he goes, oh, there was Otto. I have a very childlike behavior that I name everything. I have an Anhinga, I call it Annie. We have a great blue hair and I just call it GBH. Um, just for whatever reason, which is silly. And I wouldn't know one from the other. But so we started seeing Otto and he just became part of our, he's not here every day. We, you know, we might see him every day for a week then not see him for two weeks, then we might see him for three days, and we won't see him for two months. He comes and goes. But that's what created the book. Well, can you describe the editing process that you chose during this book? I know you wrote down the manuscript, but then did you go back and, and edit before you got ready to illustrate? I that I wasn't smart enough to do because I was always I was already painting and um, my art teachers know I, I do and I paint in watercolor and my art teachers are very funny because they know that whatever assignment if everybody else is doing it I don't want to do what everybody else is doing you know so one day we were painting water that's fine if they had given us a river to paint no I'm not painting. The same thing. I painted a waterfall from a, a picture that I took somewhere. So a year and a half ago, 
my art teacher, we were doing a series of, of studies that had to be a certain approach. And I painted an otter. Then I painted the second otter. Then I painted a third otter. And I thought, oh. So I was sort of painting and writing. And then when I took this course on self-publishing, the very first week they had a children's picture book editor as on part of the Zoom. And that's all she does. I mean, she's also a writer, but she only edits picture books. If you've written a a young adult paragraph, a chapter novel, she won't edit it. So I wrote her name down real fast. And the next morning I sent her an email and sent her my manuscript. And she wrote me back and she said, it's wonderful. And she gave me the price of what she was going to charge. And I said, that's fine. Now, here's how naive and uneducated I was. She writes me back that it's a wonderful manuscript and it meets STEM requirements. I have no children. I have no grandchildren. I even have no nephews or nieces. What do I know what STEM means? So I wrote her back and I said, what is STEM? So she wrote me back and she said, and your book meets STEM standards. It's just wonderful. Okay. My friend who told me about this group, I told her I was using this editor. She said, she's great. She's edited for me. She's be prepared that she's going to give you storyline suggestions. She's going to make lots of changes to what you've written and just be open. I said, great. Here's what she changed. I had written the book in first person. She changed it to third person. What do I care? That's not a change as far as I'm concerned. I kept talking about my house. She changed it to the big house. Now, when I read that, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. I didn't like that term. And then she made no other changes other than in three places, she took my sentence structure and maybe moved one or two words. That was it. So well, I'm thinking, you're a very natural writer then. I guess so. But I wrote her back about the big house. Yeah. And I said, I don't mean to be difficult, but I don't like it. I said, one, although this is very old fashioned, the big house in the days of slavery was the white man, the, boss, the slave owner's home. Yeah. I said, that disturbs me. Secondly, regardless of your political viewpoint, the big house is what we call the White House at times. Then there's a case where the big house means prison. I said, and lastly, the big house just means you're rich. And I'm not rich, although the book's not about me. It just bothers me. I said, but the color of my house is gray. There was no discussion. The next rewrite came back with the gray house. Yeah. So I was really very fortunate that my editor made literally almost no changes. Um, then I, once I had the pictures painted, because there were 16 paintings, which was a lot. Um, actually, there was originally only 14, but the editor pa did pagination slightly different, and she added two pages. 
And I'm going, I have to make two more paintings. Are you crazy? So when I had all that done, then it was off to the graphic designer. And that person had given me one of their employees. And on a rude side, I thought, this person's brand new. They don't, they don't know how to work with a client. And I realized that you're supposed to let your editor do their job. And you shouldn't be in love with your words, which a lot of writers are, whether it's your first book or whether it's your 10th book. Some just struggle with an editor. Well, the same is sort of true with your graphic designer. But what this person did, I went, no. And I made some comments and then they'd write me emails and two weeks later, we're still talking about the same issues. So I went to the woman who was running this course because the graphic designer was from her group that she recommends. And I said, I'm not happy. And I had a list of like seven things. And she goes, yes, yes, yes. And I'm going, really? She goes, I agree with every single thing on your list. So she wrote the owner of this editing of graphic design group. And the very next morning at 10 o'clock, we had a Zoom. She had taken on the project herself. She had already made all of the changes that I was complaining about sent me the PDF and it was like, oh, I said, I still have two things I would like changed. She goes, go ahead. And within five minutes, you know, they're so skilled on the computer, the changes were made. So. Well, you are so doubly talented. I don't know that I've interviewed anyone else who illustrated their own work. Really? Of course, most of the people aren't children's book writers. Well, we've had a good many, but they did not do their own paintings. There are. I have only met a few who did. Most people are using illustrators. And so not having children, I don't go to the library to go into the children's department. But I was given an assignment that I needed to do that. So I did. And I looked at all the books and I thought, they all look alike. Everybody's using computer generated images these days. And if you see 20 books lined up, they all have big eyes and they all go, ooh. And it was like, really? And when you see my book, it sings because you know right away it's different. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. It's interesting. You know, and then just getting it. And then because I self-published, then just finding a printer was an interesting journey. So I've learned all these things that a year ago I didn't know. Well, it is quite the learning curve. And I'm interested uh, to know why you chose to write a children's book since you don't have children or grandchildren. I'm just dumbfounded at that. Um I think because it was, I thought it was easy. You know, it didn't have to write a lot of words. Children's picture books are run about 700 words or less. And it was just an easy story to tell because it was just a true story about Otto. Um, I don't know that I could begin to write a novel or actually, 
I've had several people tell me I should write a memoir. I have had a very interesting journey in my life and have met many interesting people. And then I go, but who would want to read my memoir? I mean, I'm just, you know, I understand if you're somebody famous, you know, which is why they all write their autobiographies. I go, but nobody wants to read a memoir from a gal from St. Louis. You'd be very surprised. And I think what they call that in memoir writing is a universal appeal. So even though it's about you, somebody else who's had the same experiences as you is going to, to reap the benefits from your words. That's really very interesting. Although my story, the things that I've done and, and the parts that people tell me I should write about aren't things that other people have done. Um, in one of my, I've had more careers than you can shake a stick at. And one of my careers is I was a makeup artist for TV commercials and industrial films. And as such, I had the opportunity to make up and meet a lot of people, movie stars, actors, uh, athletes, politicians. But this was from 1980 till about 2010. So now, if I wrote a book and said I worked with Sid Charisse, most people are going to go, who is she? (laughs) That's what I think about uh, older people dating younger people and the, and the younger people don't even recognize the songs that we, we banter around, you know, so <laughs> that's very true. So, so I haven't been motivated to, to mess with it. I started several years ago, oddly enough, but I just look at it and I think why, I just don't think anybody, I spent almost 20 years as Bob Costas's makeup artist. Well, that's a behind-the-scenes look right there. Yes, and it is. And he's also one of the nicest people I've ever met. Well, But I was ta- I mentioned his name about six months ago to a young person, and they said, who? I said, Bob Costas. They went, who? I said, you don't know who Bob? And they said, no. So, and to me, he's still very much present. So I don't know. I I. I don't under- So a children's picture book I picked because it was easy. Well, you say easy, but I think that you have such a small amount of real estate to use there. You have to be so intentional with your words and placement on the pages. So I don't think it's as easy as you make it sound. Well, then let's just say I'm naive. <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit more about the book and set up what you're going to read for for us today? Well, being that it is a children's picture book, it is not long. And um, it's got a big surprise. So without revealing the surprise, I think I set up the fact that the pond is next to my house. So when you hear me read about the gray house, you'll know that that's about me. And why don't I do the reading and I'm going to hold it up so that those people who are watching on YouTube can see my watercolors. Actually, this is the cover. It's beautiful. Thank you. It, Like I said, if you see it in a, in a library or in a bookstore, it looks different than all the other books. 
So, and there's Otto. Otto, the otter, has been visiting the small pond for a long time. The people who live in the gray house near the pond gave him his name. It is always a wonderful surprise when they see him. Not a lot of words. The illustrations are just lovely. They're different. It makes the book look different. Um, Otto doesn't come every day, but he does come often to swim, play, and eat. Otto stays at the pond for a few hours and then travels from the pond through a creek to another pond nearby. Otters travel in a six-mile area, and the people's pond is just one of the places he visits. Otto is a North American river otter, and he lives in fresh water. River otters are different from sea otters who live in the salty water of the Pacific Ocean. Otters sleep near water in a variety of places on land, both above ground and in underground dens. And this is the last page I'm going to read. I want you to see this picture. It's just beautiful. Thank you. Otto leaves the pond at night. The people in the gray house don't know where he goes. Sometimes they see him leave as he squeezes through the fence on the other side of the pond. The people worry about Otto if they don't see him for a long time. Once he stayed away all winter and finally showed up again in the spring with a very big surprise. Oh. Otto turned out not to be Otto. <laughs> that's great. And I'm going to leave it at that. Yes. Well, that's wonderful. And you're, your paintings are so lovely, and I do, I do agree with you. They just really make the book. I, I think so. What I found interesting is I've seen some children reading it or, or looking at it, and I they stroke the paintings, and I think he looks it's just so realistic. Paper. It, the, it, you, know, you can't feel it, but it's like, and I watch them; they touch it and touch it as if they could feel the otter. Well, he's so realistic looking, and yet your your colors are so beautiful. All those blues and and uh, oranges, and they're really they stand out. Yeah. Now you haven't asked me a question. Most people ask me, "What would that be?" Yes, I have another manuscript. Oh, good. I good. was only going to be I was going to be a one and done, but I wrote another manuscript. It's not about Otto. Um, is it another children's book? Yes. Oh, okay. And I sent the, the manuscript to the editor about four months ago. And I said, don't touch it. Just tell me if you think it's worth developing. And she wrote me back within minutes, one sentence. You have found your voice. So <laughs> I was honored. And now I have 16 paintings to paint. Well, I think it, it's a wonderful way to have a new career, and you're going to be in a lot of libraries and a lot of schools and uh, getting these books out. In fact, what other items have you done for publicity? Anything that worked for you? Mostly door knocking. Um, I'm a big believer that you have to be willing to knock on doors and if you get told, it doesn't mean I don't like you. It doesn't mean I don't like your book. 
It just means not right now. And so sometimes wait a bit and go back and knock again. Um, I had walked in cold to a Barnes and Noble that's near our home last spring. And the woman there looked it up. She says, well, you can get it on our website. I go, yeah, I know that. She said, well, then, and it's P.O.D. And so she said, if somebody orders it, they have to prepay for it, and then we'll bring it in. And I thought, and then she just blew me off. It was like, I'm through with you. So I left and I thought, why would anybody order a book that they haven't been able to see what it looks like? You know, that's what motivates you. So about six weeks ago, two months ago, actually, exactly two months, I walked in cold to another Barnes and Noble, book in hand. It was a weekday, it was a weekday the last time as well. And I asked to see the manager and a young woman came to see me who I later found out wasn't the manager, but she thought the book was gorgeous. And off she trots and she comes back. She goes, well, we have it on our website. And I go, yes, I'm aware of that. But, and this time I verbalized. She says, well, I, I can understand how you would feel that way. I said, well, have you started doing story time again in your, in your store? She said, yes, we have. I said, well, would that be an opportunity for me? She says, that is a great idea. I don't do it. I will give your information to the person who does. I heard from this young man that week. And this happened and that happened. About four weeks ago, he ordered six paper books, paperbacks and put them into the store. My husband drove me down to the store. I can't tell you how exciting that was to see my book in a Barnes and Noble. Never dreamed of that. It's huge. And that it's you, huge. You have really accomplished a lot. Yeah. And granted, it's only one Barnes and Noble out of however many they have, but one's better than zero. I did my story time last Saturday. They had me there. I read the book. They had a table set up for me for a meet the author at the front of the store. Um, they had ordered more of the paperbacks in. Um, I sold books that day. And of course, I was able to autograph everything I sold. And one young woman who had her her little nephew there, she bought the book for him and she said, I want to buy the hardcover. And I said, the store's not selling the hardcover. She said, well, I'll buy yours because I had taken one with me that I had on a little stand. She said, may I buy this? I said, I can't sell it to you. I said, Barnes & Noble won't be happy with me. I said, but they'll order it for you. She ordered the hardcover. And they like me enough. I'm coming back. And they'll love that you have a second book. And just getting your foot in the door there is really remarkable. Yes, getting it in the first one. But guess where I'm going, if not this week, which is now almost over. But next week, I'm going to the original Barnes & Noble that told me no. Because now that I have one, yes. well, hello, it's in their store. They had me do this. Give me a reason why you don't want me. That's exactly right. Once you're in one store, you should be able to get into all the others. Yes, yes. So that goes back to the fact that 
to market, you just have to be willing to knock on doors. Um, and, and I've been fortunate. I've done a couple of other podcasts. I've had several young, um, there's a lot of young people now doing YouTube channels. And I've had several of them contact me, maybe because they saw me on Instagram. And they've done readings of the book on their YouTube channels. Um, I, I started Instagram six months ago. I struggle with it. I, I would really like a class in how to use Instagram effectively. Um, if, if if I I see all these classes that are for authors that seem to be about the same thing over and over, I have yet to see one on Instagram and how to use it effectively and even how to just do it. Um, so well, but, your, but will, your illustrations would look great on Instagram. Yes. And it's I, all about, you know, placing photos up there. And yeah. And, and I have a couple of very brief videos of, of auto swimming. Oh. So sometimes I use those. Yeah. Well, you have led quite an interesting life, Linda, and you are doing great work and getting your book into bookstores. So I know that you have an answer for our last interview question, which is our writers over 50 are certainly a unique group. Do you have advice for writers 50 and above? Just do it. You know, if, if there's something you want to do, do it. The, the worst thing that we can do is to sit on our hands and feel I don't have that ability. And, and I also am positive that everything that you're learning, those are the things that keep our minds sharp and keep us viable and healthy and young. So I think, oh, and I didn't tell everybody. I'm 78. So it's just, just do it. You know, don't be frightened. Well, you're the youngest 78 I've ever met and you look great and you have wonderful energy about you and we're just so excited to now say that you're one of our authors over 50. And I thank you for allowing me to be one of your authors over 50. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.